0: Good morning Christ Prez. in the In the past couple of weeks, we've witnessed eleven days of war between Israel and Hamas, many innocent people dying, many children wounded and killed. But then on Friday morning, uh, there was this announcement: you know something has happened. Egypt negotiated a ceasefire, and uh, the situation has changed. At least temporarily, there is peace. Now, it feels like a very fragile peace. It's easy to worry about how long it will last, but uh, there's peace. Well, Paul's focus in this passage is that something has happened. Uh, He's declaring news. Something has brought an end to a terrible hostility that has left countless people without hope. Now, it's not a ceasefire between warring nations, but rather an announcement of reconciliation between God himself and the whole world. That's at the heart of this passage, this notion of reconciliation, the news that God has done something to change our relationship with him forever. So let's look at what our passage tells us about the reality of this reconciliation and then the importance of our response. Okay, so first the reality of reconciliation and then the importance of our response. You know, reconciliation is a word that has to do with the setting right of a relationship, The fact that reconciliation between us and God is even needed in the first place implies that something was wrong with the relationship, that it was characterized by alienation, that there was enmity between us and God, division, a lack of communication. The relationship was damaged and it needed to be repaired. Things were not right between us and God. Well, we've all experienced this kind of alienation on the horizontal level with other people, You know, sometimes we experience it with friends. Those of you who are married have probably experienced it with your spouse. I still remember a day on our road trip back in 2002 when Libby and I were first moving out to New Jersey from Spokane, Washington. We spent an entire day of the trip not speaking to each other because we hadn't yet been reconciled after a fight the day before. So we were physically very close, you know, sitting right beside each other in the car for like 12 hours of driving, but we were very distant. We didn't feel like we were for each other. We needed to forgive each other and to be reconciled. 2002 was the last time anything like that ever happened between us. Well, scripture talks about reconciliation between us and God, the overcoming of the enmity between us. But what's remarkable is how this reconciliation is talked about. Who accomplishes it, and when, it, when is it accomplished? In his excellent little book, Theology as a Way of Life, Adam Nieder asks the following, quote, Did Jesus Christ really establish peace between God and humanity? Is that a fact that includes everyone? Or did Jesus Christ make it only possible for people to be reconciled to God? Did he open a way to reconciliation that becomes real only when people respond to it appropriately? In other words, does our response make reconciliation a reality, or does the reality of reconciliation call forth our response? Close quote. I think those are really important, good questions to ask, and I wonder how you would answer. The extraordinary claim of this passage is that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Paul holds this up as a foundation and motivation for his ministry. Like before reconciliation is something that Paul is working toward or working for, it's something he's working from. It's like reconciliation isn't merely a future possibility, but rather an already present reality established once and for all by Jesus Christ. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. I want to read again part of our passage and then a couple of additional passages, one from Colossians and one from Romans. And as I read these, And as you listen, pay attention to the movement. Do they move from our right response to the reality of reconciliation, or do they move from the reality of reconciliation to the possibility of our right response? Okay, so first, listen again to this portion of our passage. Paul writes, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Listen to this from Colossians chapter 1. For in him, that is in Jesus... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now listen to this from Romans chapter 5. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So let's go back to this question that Adam Nieder asks. Does our response make reconciliation a reality? Or does the reality of reconciliation call forth our response? See, I think the witness of these passages is, is clear and consistent. Reconciliation isn't a possibility. It's an established reality already accomplished by Jesus Christ. Now, deep breath. I want you to see how freeing this is. You know, so often we live our Christian lives as if God has done something really good and important for us in Jesus, but now that's done with, and at this point it's up to us to ensure that our relationship with God is right. See, reconciliation isn't a reality, it's a possibility. For it to become a reality, we better get our acts together. The pressure is on because it's our response to God's grace that can end the alienation. See, we live as if God's love for us is contingent on our response. We live as if our response and not Jesus Christ himself is what reconciles us to God. And the result is so often deep anxiety and radical insecurity. Because let's be honest, our response to God's grace is a mixed bag at best. If reconciliation is only a possibility, if it's up to us to secure reconciliation with God, well, who knows whether or not we can pull that off, whether or not God will be for us in the end. But Paul preaches good news family, it's a done deal. Through Christ, God has reconciled us to himself. Or uh, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it, what is essential has already happened. You see, the deepest truth about us is that Jesus Christ has lived and died and been raised from the dead for us. Reconciliation isn't a mere possibility. It's an objective reality. So now, let's move to the second part of this message and ask about the importance of our response. The passages we read, that one um, from Colossians and from Romans, in addition to the, our second Corinthians passage, they all suggest that our response to the reality of reconciliation is very important. It really matters. Uh, Paul doesn't declare that we've been reconciled to God in Christ and then sit back twiddling his thumbs and living however he wants. No, he declares the reality of reconciliation, and then he urges the Corinthian church to be reconciled to God. See, he declares the reality of reconciliation, and then he lives and loves and serves in a way that makes it clear he's willing to lose everything for the ministry of reconciliation. How do we make sense of this? Well, remember, reconciliation is about restored relationship with God. And being in right relationship with God is not entirely unlike being in right relationship with anyone else. I mean, it involves trust and love and obedience and faithfulness. God reconciles us to himself for relationship with him and with one another. And so our response is very important. Let's look at some of the ways we see this in our passage. First, our response changes the way we view and relate to ourselves. See, if the reconciliation uh, between us and God is an objective reality, then the deepest truth about who you are, it's already given. God has secured his relationship with you. He's done it in and as Jesus Christ in a way that can't be undone, in a way that won't be undone. The Christian life, the call of discipleship, everything that God is calling you to do in Jesus, it's fundamentally about um, living into the truth of who you already are in Christ. To stop living against the grain of your reconciliation, but instead to embrace it and to live like it's true, because it is true. And so Paul says, therefore, if anyone is, is Excuse me, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In the Greek, there's no verb in that first sentence. And so there's some question about how best to translate it. Literally, it reads something like, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. It's like the new creation is already breaking in, in you and in me. And, And so the call is to become who you already really are. It's a gift and it's a task. I mean, your identity is a gift given in Christ. It's already secure. Your task is to live into it, to grow up into it, to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Well, have you embraced this about yourself? Have you received God's reconciling love for you in Christ? And have you received your true identity in Christ? Well, second, our response ought to change the way we view and relate to other people. Listen again to verses fourteen through sixteen. Paul writes, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might not might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh we regard him thus no longer you see paul's experience of god's love and grace for him in christ it has completely reshaped the way he views other people his basic posture toward others now is one of love the love of christ he says compels him or controls him he views others through the lens now of what is really true about them They have been reconciled to God in Jesus Christ. This is revolutionary. You know, most of us view and evaluate others based on things that are really pretty superficial. What do they look like? How much money do they have? Are they successful and powerful? Uh, Do they have a lot of influence? Well, Paul has just given up all of that. He says, we no longer regard people according to the flesh. I like how Eugene Peterson translates... Uh, this. He says, quote, because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once, and we got it all wrong. Close quote. See, Paul is probably thinking about his own experience with Jesus. Remember, he saw Jesus to be weak, a failure, leading people away from the true God of Israel. He expected the Lion of Judah to be more like a lion and less like a lamb. But then Jesus appeared to him and showed him his powerful grace. He put his treasure in a clay pot like Paul, and this totally transformed Paul's way of considering other people. He stopped regarding them in the same way. What would it look like for you to view others in your life as people who not only bear the image of God, but as people for whom Jesus died, as people who have actually objectively been reconciled to God in Christ. Well, let me suggest a couple of practical things. First, viewing people like this would be a really powerful motivation to work on forgiveness and reconciliation. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. I mean, if God isn't holding the sins of others against them, how can we? If God is eager to remove enmity and to create reconciled relationships, how can we be content to live with divisions and hostilities among us? Remember that place in Ephesians chapter 1 where Paul tells us that God's plan for the fullness of time is to unite all things in Christ? It's like God's plan is that one day what has already been accomplished, the reconciliation of all things, will be known and experienced and displayed for all and by all. I mean, the world, having already been reconciled to God in Christ, will, will finally be united in Christ. Well, forgiveness and reconciliation at the horizontal level between between us, that's a big part of, of that final end toward which we're all heading. Forgiveness and reconciliation, remember they aren't the same thing. Uh, the sad truth is, in a world so marred by sin and evil, it's not always possible to be reconciled with other people, even after we've really forgiven them. So we can forgive without being reconciled. But yeah. I'm not so sure that we can be reconciled without forgiving. Not really. You know, sometimes we can fake reconciliation with others when we haven't really forgiven them. We can pretend like things are fine and go on in relationship when we're really harboring resentment and bitterness and even hatred in our hearts. But true reconciliation, especially the kind that will last into eternity, I think must depend on forgiveness. Imagine the end, the end when all things are united in Christ, including you, including me. You see, I don't know exactly what that's going to be like, but I don't think unforgiveness will be a part of that world. United in Christ, we won't be holding our sins against each other. And so there's an invitation and powerful motivation here to aim at that final reality right here and right now. Leslie Newbigin says, a gospel of reconciliation can only be embodied by a reconciled fellowship. See, we have a motivation here to work on forgiving others and reconciling with others as much as we can. I wonder if the Spirit might be highlighting someone in your life who, you, who you're called to forgive and, and maybe called to do some work on forgiving, maybe even today, maybe this week. Well, second, as soon as we start to no longer regard people according to the flesh, we have a powerful motivation to tell people the good news about Jesus. See, reconciliation is an objective reality, but God entrusts people like us to share the truth of it with others. Remember, we are called to be the aroma of Christ and letters of the Spirit. Paul writes that God was entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. You know, think about an ambassador. This is another great metaphor. An ambassador, an ambassador is such an interesting role, an interesting position. If you're an ambassador, uh, it's not just a nine to five thing. I mean, sure, you might go to your office for a big portion of the day, but your job is, is a all of life kind of thing. Your job is to represent the sending party. And that's a commission that applies all the time twenty four seven and so how you relate to uh, the taxi driver or the cleaning lady or the elected official or the person serving you food at a restaurant all of this is part of your calling to represent christ It's part of your new identity. The call isn't to convert people to change people, to manipulate people into believing to make people act or behave differently. No, I mean, we simply get to announce and to demonstrate the good news. In our words and in our deeds, we get to communicate to others, you are loved. God has made peace with you. There is nothing between him and you. Life and mercy and grace and forgiveness are yours ready for the taking. You know, remember your own story um, You know Jesus today because at some point, someone shared the gospel with you. They shared it imperfectly. They shared it in weakness. They might have said some things that weren't theologically accurate. They might have said some things that weren't even true. But here you are. See, there are people in your life who need to hear the good news of God's great love for them in Christ. There are people in your life who need to know and to respond to the reality of reconciliation because this is what they were made for. Will you embrace your identity as an ambassador for Christ? Okay, so um, our response, it changes the way we view and relate to ourselves. It changes the way we view and relate to other people. And then finally, it changes the way we view and relate to God. Because we see, and we see it clearly, that God is like unequivocally for us. He has already reconciled us to himself. Sometimes we doubt that. I mean, sometimes we, we really believe in our heart of hearts that God is against us. And the reason I imagine that we believe that is because sometimes it feels like God is against us. Family, he's not. He's actually far more for us than we are for ourselves. And so sometimes I think we experience his faithfulness as opposition. I mean, sometimes we, in his faithfulness, he opposes us, but he, he's not opposing the true us, not the real us, not, not, the, not our identity in Christ. I mean, he's opposing us for our own good. He's opposing us so that we will become who we really are. See, his commitment is to see reconciliation through to the end. And so we don't have to wonder and worry about a God who is out to get us. See, that God is a God that we've created. It's a God that we've made up. It's not the true God. That's not the God we know in Jesus Christ. The true God is this one who comes to us as Jesus, and who lives for us, and who dies for us, and who is raised from the dead for us. I mean, he is the one who takes upon himself all the consequences of our sin and rebellion and enmity, and he removes it from us, and he deals with it himself. Paul writes, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Family, this is a God you can trust. This is a God who is completely for you. Well, God not only reconciles us to himself in the Son, but he also gives us the Spirit. You know, today is Pentecost Sunday. And the truth is, everything about our response to the reality of reconciliation Is the Spirit's good work in us and through us. I mean, here is true power and weakness. How will you be able to embrace your identity in Christ, fully loved and reconciled to God? That's the Spirit's good work in you. How will you be able to regard others, not according to the superficial stuff, but according to their true identity as beloved, reconciled image bearers? See, that also is the Spirit's good work in you. How will you be able to pursue forgiveness and reconciliation with people who have wronged you and and where there does seem to be division and hostility in relationships? I mean, don't you know how desperately you need the Spirit of God for that important work? And what about your role as Christ's ambassador? Well, it's the Holy Spirit who equips us and empowers us to bear faithful witness to Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit family, and God is not stingy. He's not withholding. He's eager to share the Spirit with us. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.